checked your uh, website, Adam, and you clearly sort of state why it's so important or why leadership is yeah. so important. And, you know, leadership's a buzzword. It gets thrown around a lot. But why should anybody care about leadership? I think for one thing, you have to have people who are out there who are driving poor people, galvanizing people, giving people vision. Um, so we, we all, everyone is in a leadership capacity to some extent. If you're a parent, you're leading your family. If you're involved in school, you may be involved in groups where you're a group leader. Um, so I think people who are able to quickly take on the ownership and have the influence that they wanna have on other people in a positive way, is why leadership becomes so important early in life. I think later on, as we get into business and we get into our careers, um, the ultimate way to get great results is to be around people who inspire us. And so leaders encourage us, leaders support us, leaders inspire us. Um, they give us something that we can believe in and people that we wanna follow. Um, and that's why I think it's so important. It's important to have those that we aspire to be like. It's important to have those that inspire us to do more. And it's important to have people who help us, uh, motivate us and push us to exceed our performance expectations. Mm. But do you, I, based on my experience of life, there are a lot of leaders yeah. who, um, oh, what's the right word? They, they um, exploit a mm. kind of insecurity in people and it's masked like they're leading, like their leadership is positive and they're encouraging hard work. You know, yeah. I'm starting to go into, like I'm talking about sort of the grind, the hustle culture. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, it really seems positive on the outside, but yeah. they're, they seem to galvanize people so well because they capitalize, that's it. They capitalize on people's low self-esteem. Mm. Like I find it difficult yeah. to- yeah. You identify if a leader is really genuinely yeah. giving, like has a positive impact. Do you have yeah. any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think so. This is the my whole second book on relationships and influence focuses on this. So I think the best leaders lead through the relationships that they build at an individual level with the people around them. And so to build a relationship, there are different factors that matter. There are things like establishing rapport. And can you have an immediate connection with someone? And that starts from a place of authenticity. And it starts from a place of being genuine and caring about people. Um, as you move forward in building a relationship, there's a component around understanding others and getting under the hood and what's most important to someone. There's another piece around uh, diversity and embracing individual differences. And, you know, for, from a cultural standpoint to an ethnicity standpoint, to a sexual orientation standpoint, to, um, you know, cross-cultural factors, there are a number of things that we have to embrace about other people. But if you're doing this in a genuine and authentic way, you will be able to develop trust, you will be able to inspire more, and you'll ultimately get people to drive the results that you want to. Um, so I think manipulation, coercion, um, playing on people's weaknesses may work in the short term, but long term, you're not going to get the buy-in, alignment, and agreement with your people. Mm. I kind of, I think I disagree with you. And the reason I disagree, the part I disagree is, I think it's quite difficult for people to identify if they're being authentic and genuine. I have mm. a, a particular person, a particular yeah. sort of self-help guy yeah. in mind. I'm, I don't want to drop his name. I don't know if I should. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. But 
I mean, I have to say, I don't, I know some about him and I know, but I feel like, um, j- j- I don't know how to, how to articulate. So th- this guy is, is all about, um, you know, you need, you need to work super hard to get to your goals. And it, he, he kind of tells the story as if getting your, getting to your goals yeah. is the most important it's of highest priority but the like that's super nuanced and it's super low resolution thinking and and i think it's super one-sided and life is not like that like you can like because kind of what you said earlier on with goal setting you can set a goal but the goal could be outright stupid like people set and i remember the goals i set they were just stupid and they were created out of insecurity like i wanted to be a like a a famous rock star rapper but that was because yeah i felt like i wasn't good enough and i needed to compensate by being famous yeah and i could have like mindlessly aimed for that goal for for like decades but thankfully i realized it was rubbish yeah (laughs) do you know what i mean yeah 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 so like I think people struggle actually to see what's a genuine goal and what's like, did you catch my, my gist? Like, do you, do you know what I'm? Yeah, I I think so. So you're talking about now, are you talking individually, like someone kind of early career, how they set their goals and if they're being genuine and authentic with themselves or if they're being genuine and authentic with others? Both. Yeah. Yeah. So to the former, I think, um, it all goes back to this idea of the self-exploration um is your is you're getting to know yourself you may have wanted to be uh an m&m rapper um but at the same time you you've never done that before and you go to a you live in an environment where you know academics are recommended or approved so you have to understand context and kind of what you're surrounded by and set goals i'm sure you guys know the, the concepts around smart goals are they specific are they measurable so you really have to use that model when you're setting goals. So you don't set outlandish, extravagant goals that are unrealistic and not attainable. So that would be my piece there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm a big, I'm a big believer. I've seen it in my work the last 20 years with our clients and with the consultants that are even on our team, the more genuine and authentic you can be with yourself. And it goes back to the know thyself piece. The more you can do that, the more likely your goals will be aligned with your calling, will be aligned with the vision for your life. Um, and that has to come first before you even think about work you do with people outside of yourself. Um, when you start moving out and you start getting into your career and you start doing work with other people, um, the vision and the goal setting is important and you need to have a, a perspective on that, but there has to be alignment and agreement with the people around you. Um, and I can give you guys an example. I worked with early in my career, I worked with a, a fortune 100 retail company, electronics retailer company based in the U S And I had started working with a leadership team. They were based in the Northeast part of the United States. So from Boston down to Philadelphia, the leader was an executive vice president over sales and kind of store operations. And she had been um, succeeding someone who had been in the role for about 15 years. He was a legacy leader at the company, had a way of doing things. And she had to build a vision for her team most of the people that reported to him were going to be reporting to her. So there was a lot of relationships and things that she just didn't have. And so her goal was to drive performance for the business and to grow revenues. 
but she had to do it in a way that would inspire the people around her. And so we sat down for three hours during one of our initial conversations around coaching. And we said, okay, what's most important to you based on your experiences? So we went into her past and we talked about the things that made her successful. And we said, okay, realistically, and the key word is realistically, what goal can you set for this team that will help you guys meet your annual uh, KPIs and your annual year over year revenue targets? Um, once we had that laid out, I said, okay, now you have to get buy-in and improvement from your team. This can't just be Jennifer's vision and no one else is aligned with it. So it was about going to her people, sharing the ideas. We went to a, a presidential suite in a hotel down in Philadelphia and we whiteboarded across the room her vision and we added their ideas around what they wanted to add to the vision. And we spent a day kind of hashing out what was most important. And that team walked away from that offsite retreat with a vision that they all bought into with goals that they were all aligned on and with things they can move forward. So it started with her being authentic and kind of thinking through her past and then really bringing her team along for the journey so that they felt ownership and a part of the narrative. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, basically it's like synthesizing all, 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 everybody, all relevant stakeholders. So they're all on board. Okay. Yeah. I get what you mean. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Nick, do you want to go for the next question? Yeah. yeah well, I have one more question. Cause I think the, the authenticity and like genuine self that we're talking about is really important, but simultaneously we see it's not really out there for most people. So I'm curious as a leader, and this can be indeed a mother or father, uh, a team of, of, or like a leader for a small team, a sports coach, how can you really foster this uh, authenticity within your team and people to truly be honest to themselves and like communicate honestly and have this like this value really as a core? Um, yeah. Maybe you could share some insights from your book or other experiences you've had. Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. So I think it starts with what behaviors you model for your people. So if you want people to be genuine and authentic, you have to extend uh, trust to them. And you have to be, the, there's a big thing I think in corporate America that people miss is this idea of vulnerability. Are you willing to make yourself vulnerable to people and show a personal side of who you are. You don't have to talk about your history and talk about, you know, when I was five years old, you know, I saw someone get murdered in my community, but you can talk about who you are and what has created and contributed to the type of leader that you are. And so I think by the, the ex example that you set for others, it encourages people to do that. Um, and going back, you know, to my second book, the idea that you have to sow into people's lives and the way that I build a relationship with unique is going to be different than the way I build one with you, Henry. And so there may be things I share with each one of you that are different. They're still true to my narrative and my story, but you get exposed to a different side of me. And that makes you say, okay, Adam's being vulnerable and sharing something about him. That, that's encouraging to me. I want to do that too. The relationship strengthens, the ties that bond become stronger. Um, you can rely on me as your manager, and then I can rely on you as a direct report to drive results. So again, this focus on relationship is key and really tailoring your story and your narrative to the people on your team or the people in your organization. So there's that individual connection. And it's not just me talking to a team and saying, hey, I want everyone to be genuine and authentic. There's no behaviors being modeled there. There's just um, leading and following out of compliance rather than out of true followership. Mm -hmm. That's super interesting. And I, I'm, 
yeah, gonna have a challenge quite soon in leading a team again. And I was thinking for myself, there's this ongoing trend of like treating people equally. And my question, which you kind of went into, is actually as a leader, do you have this very individual um, consideration for people where you truly have a different kind of connection with your, yeah, like in the sense, equal team members? Is yeah. that something you can do, or is it like, no, they're all equal, so I have to treat them equal? Like, how do yeah. you maneuver that? I think you have to have a set of values. I call it rules of engagement. What are the rules of engagement for your team? How are people going to collaborate and interact with each other? And I talk about it in the first book when I talk about consistency and I talk about um, your code of conduct and the way you're supposed to engage with each other. So as a leader, I think you have to set the stage and set the table for how you want people to interact with each other. So thing like things like promoting innovation or things like collaboration, those have to be things that are standards to how you lead. And then you use that conceptual framework and that model and the means through which you do things is at an individual level, person by person. So we all know that collaboration is important, but the way that I collaborate with Unique may be very different than the way I collaborate with Henry. And so that will encourage the two of you to collaborate in which way works best for your relationship and everyone else on the team can do the same. That's really cool. I like that. I'm uh, looking forward to read that in the book again. Welcome to Breaking the Script podcast. Welcome everyone to the podcast called Breaking the Script by Extraordinary Life. Extraordinary Life is all about um, self-development and meaningful engagement. And we try to connect that with this podcast as well. So the podcast is called Breaking the Script. And we really try to foster this intergenerational conversation. So usually we only talk to um, elderly people like our parents, maybe our grandparents, maybe some colleagues. But we believe there's much more value to be obtained in actually talking to more wiser, more experienced, more um, yeah, people with more life knowledge. So that's why we set up this, this podcast. And the other aspect is that we believe to really forge your own path and in that sense, break the script, which is why also this introduction doesn't have a script. So today we are welcomed by, um, with Adam Bondelli. He is a, um, a founding of um, Bondelli Associates. He's from the US and um, he is mainly a leadership coach um, for his company. He recently he pro, um, wrote a book about uh, 10, of, yeah, 10 things every effective leader needs to have. And he has a very interesting PhD in organizational psychology, which we'll also dive a bit into. Adam, would you like to introduce a bit more about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Good morning, guys, or good afternoon for you. Good morning for me. Um, happy to be here with you today. Um, I would love to start by just sharing a little bit about my background and kind of how I've gotten to this point in my career. So I am a industrial organizational psychologist by training. I did my PhD down at the University of South Florida in Tampa. And my dissertation, my, my main work and research that I did there was on leadership development. It was on relationships and influence. And it was really about how senior executives can have a positive impact on their people through the relationships that they build with people. So I did a lot of work around uh, emotional intelligence. I did a lot of work on executive presence. Um, once I finished my dissertation, I joined a firm called RHR International, which is a boutique um, international global psychology firm. And they focus on a number of different areas, but I really learned a foundation around three areas. One is executive assessment. And so that is when companies will send 
their top candidates for CEO roles, C-suite roles to us. And we will do a full psychological profile where we'll spend about three hours learning about their leadership journey, the different things that help shape them. We'll give them some online psychometric tools, personality assessments to get at how they're wired. Um, and then we'll come back to the organization and make a recommendation on if they should be hired and if there'll be a good cultural fit. So that's one place that we did work. The second place was around leadership development and executive coaching. And so did a lot of work there, coaching executives at the C-suite level, level two below that. And then the third area was really around change management. And this is around organizational culture, transformational change. So how do we help leaders set a vision for their teams and then drive results down through their organizations? Um, so I've spent about a decade with RHR doing a lot of great work there. I really learned the skill sets of being a leadership advisor. Uh, I started my firm in 2015. And I really started my firm because there's an entrepreneurial side to me. Um, you know, the, the idea for the first book, What Every Leader Needs, The 10 Universal and Indisputable Competencies of Leadership Effectiveness, which came out earlier this month, um, came around that time. Uh, I had been studying leadership for about 15 years at the time, and I really wanted to share the knowledge of what I was seeing across global companies in terms of the skills that leaders need to develop from early entry level all the way up on through CEOs um, to be effective in galvanizing and influencing their people. Um, so my firm today, we focus on three areas. As I mentioned, one is executive assessment, one is uh, leadership development, and then the third is change management. And the place that is different from RHR is I do a lot of talks and discussions and uh, open forums where I'll talk about leadership. I'll talk about the different work that we're doing. Um, we're really excited. I'm just finishing up my second book on relationships and influence. And so that'll be released next year. Um, and so we're going to be doing a lot of work on that promotion as well. So that's a little about me. I'll, I'll pause there uh, if you guys have questions about that. That's very awesome. Thank you for a lengthy introduction. That was really great. I think where our main interest comes from is actually indeed the leadership development and also the psychological slash psychometric part. Yeah. Um, so with me today as well is Henry Clark, which we can't forget to introduce. So Henry, would you like to introduce yourself too? What's up? Yeah, I'm Henry. I am a co-founder of Extraordinary Life and co-hosting this podcast with Nick here. And I'll keep it short uh, so we can get into the discussion. Yeah, I'm really hyped to talk about leadership today. I'd like to go into the relationship management also, because yes, personally, yeah. I'm really interested in that. And yeah, Nick, I think you can take it away with the first question for Adam. All right, I will do that. So within Extraordinary Life, we find it very important to explore yourself, to be honest to yourself, also confront yourself about perhaps past tendencies that were more negative, or yeah. about confrontation you have in the, in the moment. So our first question is, how can one use personal leadership slash, slash leadership uh, to really find out, find out who you are? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So I think, I think it's a multifaceted approach that you have to take to go on your own leadership journey and find out who you are. Um, I think it starts early in life with goal setting. And so in my teenage years, I was exposed to Tony Robbins 
and uh, you know the the power of setting goals in different areas of your life. So I had this sports background. I played basketball in high school and college. I was a point guard, and so for me, setting goals physically and athletically was normal for me um, through the coaches and the people that I worked with. But it wasn't for other areas of my life: physical fitness, relationally, um, career-wise. And so Tony taught me the importance of really setting goals in all areas of your life. Um, and so it was the summer between my junior and senior year in high school, I was about 16 years old, where I sat down and really did my first step and journey around development and growth and set some goals for myself in those different buckets and really put some plans in place. Um, I knew I wanted to go into psychology in high school. I took a class my senior year. I didn't want to, I didn't know at that point I wanted to go into leadership advisory and kind of organizational psychology, but I knew I wanted to have an impact on others. So I think the first thing in anyone's journey, especially early career professional, is to spend that time setting some strong goals. I think that's critical. Um, the second thing I think is really knowing yourself. And, and really the, there's that saying, know thyself. I think Aristotle came up with it a long time ago. And I think that the power in that is do you do the self-discovery and self-journey to really know what you're passionate about, what's most important to you? And you can start very easily by taking a personality psychometric tool, the Myers-Briggs or the DISC or the Enneagram. You can take one of those tools to kind of get a sense of how you're wired. But I also feel it's important to get around some good mentors. And you can get mentors from a life coach. It could be a therapist. It could be a professor at your university. It could be someone more advanced than you. But the, the knowing thyself process is really accelerated when you have a mentor that you're working with that can help you grow. Um, and so I think that's the second thing. And then I think the third thing to really find out who you are is to have an appetite for learning and growth and to be a lifelong learner. And so, you know, I'm, I'm in my mid 40s now and I'm still acquiring knowledge and wisdom and things from people that I aspire to be like and people who are 10, 15 years ahead of me in my career. So I think if you can start that appetite for learning early in your life, you really, really have an impact in terms of the type of leader you become. Can I follow up on that? How do you build an appetite for learning? Yeah, yeah, great question. I think, you know, the, the, the appetite from learning has to come from a desire to really dive deep into whatever your field of interest is. Um, so for me, it was psychology. So the first year of college for me, university, um, I was exposed to every theory and every approach to psychology. So I think, I don't know how it is in Europe, but in the US, you'll take a general psychology class and you'll take a statistics psychometric class to give you a foundation about psychology. And so I was exposed to clinical psychology, counseling psychology, school psychology, organizational business psychology. And so being able to kind of have that broader way or that broad net in terms of what I could focus on, it gave me an interest in learning about all those different areas of psychology and ultimately guided me towards becoming a leadership advisor and business psychologist. Okay. So you're talking about like exposing yourself to yes. as many areas. Okay. But one thing that I always struggle to understand is, is how does that actually work then if you're exposed to different areas of psychology? How does, like, how does that cause a greater appetite for learning? Like yeah. what actually goes on? Because I feel like uh, people like to talk about curiosity and yeah. I do also agree with that exposing yourself to different 
branches yeah. of knowledge can kind of ignite something inside yeah. of you maybe, but like what's actually going on? Can you explain that? Yeah, I think there's two parts. I think one is about having an understanding of your life calling. And so really getting clear. And that's why there's a parallel stream going on here where you're doing more exploration into who you are. So you're getting an understanding of you. And at the same time, you're starting to learn about things that you can apply and put yourself into. If you're doing these two things in parallel streams, you should get an understanding of this is what I'm passionate about. This is what I want my life to be about, my calling, and then simultaneously find areas where you can grow in that space. So that would be the first piece. The other piece there, I think, is proactive initiative. And so it's great to be exposed to things, but you have to activate and you have to pursue what you want to grow in and where you want to develop. So I think those two things happening simultaneously really go from exposure to accelerating learning. Okay. Yeah, I understand. Thanks. Yeah, I would like to add one thing as well, like a short nuance, because I really like the, especially the first two points you mentioned of like goal setting and know thyself. Uh, for me personally, I, I think the importance lies in the opposite um, order of like first knowing yourself in order yeah. to set the right goals. Yeah. Uh, where personally, yeah. I figured out like I did this internship in an um, accountancy firm. And I was, I was really stuck there, like just working eight hours a day on Excel. And I was like, bummed out, you know, just couldn't have any creativity. And like, it was quite yeah. frustrating. And only after a while, I started getting more into psychology and like doing a psychometric test. And I figured out I scored like a seven out of a hundred for um, conscientiousness and really mm. high in openness. And I was like, it kind of makes sense. Like, don't please just don't box me into like this cube behind the screen all day because I'm just going to yeah. go crazy. Um, so I think really the, the key to first understand the basics of yourself, the psychology, but also a bit about your past, like yeah. where do certain behaviors come from only then to set healthy goals yeah. that are also not too much focused on your, uh, your ego. I really love that advice. So thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, let's continue the discussion, Henry. Yeah. Cool. If, I could, if I could just touch back to that, I think it's really important the piece you talk about around kind of the know thyself. Um, but I think our history and our psychological makeup is a combination of both nature and nurture. So we're given certain things DNA wiring wise from our parents. But I think nurture is such is much more of a powerful influence on what shapes us. And so not only kind of exploring, am I conscientious or am I agreeable, but how does the relationships with my parents and with my family and my upbringing, how does that impact knowing thyself and where I am today? Mm. Yes. Would you split, um, yeah, I don't like to think so binary, but would you split nature and nurture 50-50 or like your, based on your experience of life, which seems to be, like, can you box it in like that? Or do you prefer not to? I would say 70-30 nurture. I think your environment dictates more of how mm. you become as a person, less about your DNA. There'll be certain things that you wire. Like I think about my own family and my uh, brother and I, we get certain things from our parents that uh, our, our, our mother and father got divorced when we were young. And so I wasn't around my father, but I got certain things like his appetite for growth and appetite for knowledge that I didn't, I wasn't exposed to. I mean, my mom encouraged us to go to school and do those things, but that innate drive to learn came from him. My brother picked up one of the negative things. He picked up his anger and frustration. So he gets angry quickly and there was no, we, we grew up in a good environment where there wasn't an issue, but he picked up that from my father where I picked up the thirst and desire for knowledge. Mm. 
but it was really the environment that our mother grew us up in, in terms of respect and hard work and dedication and discipline to your craft. So those things we saw, I never, my mother never told us things that we had to do. She always modeled the right behaviors for us. So she talked about hard work and that our school mattered, but then I saw her go back to school at the age of 40. And I remember waking up for a drink of water or something in the middle of the night and seeing her studying downstairs in the kitchen. And it was really a reinforcing thing to me, like, okay, hard work matters. She's taking care of us all day, cooking dinner, putting us to bed, and then she's studying and doing things for herself.